Intelligentsia Cup is a magical experience. Not gonna lie, huge level of bias since I grew up in the area. And these are some of the original races that I geared up to race and look forward to. So going back to Chicagoland every July to race 10 days, six days, five days, however many days in a row of bike racing is always something that's on my calendar. It's something that I look forward to in January and February when it's negative 5,000 degrees in those same exact areas. So going back this year, getting an opportunity to race five days or six days of Intelligentsia Cup was a huge, huge goal of mine and a huge thing that I look forward to. Getting there and starting to see how riders are playing out, how their experiences are happening throughout the course of the time is also just a lot of fun because so much can happen over the course of 10 days of racing. So many trends, so much potential happens within that time frame that as a commentator and spectator of the sport, I really look forward to that too. So it's a twofer for me racing on my own and getting to watch how other people are doing. And the way that these races are run in Chicago with Intelligentsia Cup is just so smart. It's so intelligent. There's such an attention to rider safety and focus and detail. I mean, I'm talking about this as the guy who ended up getting a free ride to the hospital last year when he hit his head at Mundelein. So this year, no exception. This year was great. And one of the things that made it great was getting an opportunity to learn about this new team, UNC Lotto Max. It's a team that I had previously posted some results about because of Simon Daniels, their Belgian sprinter. But it's also a team that I didn't really know too much about. So when things came to pass this week and a guest that we had planned on being on the show had a scheduling conflict, I reached out to UNC Lotto Max and I said, hey, give me somebody, give me anybody. I wanna talk to you guys about who you are and what you're doing and what UNC actually means as opposed to the University of North Carolina. And they gave me Logan Okrafka. And I probably butchered that, but. As you know, he'll be saying it himself in a few seconds. And I sat down, talked with the 20-year-old from Cambridge, Ontario, Canada, about the team, about what the team is all about, about this idea, very Canadian idea of inclusivity and wanting to broaden the scope and reach of their organization. And then we played a fun game. We went through all of what happened at Intelligentsia, all of the nine days of racing that he did, and we gave a little bit of a verbal Rorschach test to him to give us three words, two words, a small phrase of what those races meant to him. And so this episode is a compilation of two different things, talking about Intelligentsia, Intelli for those in the know, and also talking about UNC Lotto Max and about the 20-year-old from Letterkenny Land in Canada. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, wideanglepodium.com, your source, your home for the internet's premier collection of top-tier independent cycling media, 
Independent cycling media, what does that mean? It means that we rely on you, the sponsors, the supporters, the collaborators with us to help make sure that this content creator-owned effort continues to go forward and we get the opportunity to present to you this fun, entertaining, informative, maybe, discussion about your favorite types of bike racing. So if you want to get into European racing, rail biking, comedy, ironic phraseology, pizza drafts, there's the Slow Ride Podcast. If you want to look at what's going on in mountain bike racing or in cyclocross racing, we've got Cyclocross Radio. If you want to talk about the pointy end of the gravel peloton, the Grodio is there for you. If you want to learn more about e-bike racing, i.e. the Zwift type racing or RGT, that's why we have Nowhere Fast. We've got something for everybody. And the hosts who do these shows really enjoy it. We really love creating this content and putting this out there. And we really appreciate it when you step up, become a supporter and subscriber, and help financially support these efforts. WideAnglePodium.com, your source for everything on the network. We are back again with our friends at Caldera Lab. They are bringing this episode to you throughout all of August. So yes, it's August. We've had a great time so far in the summer. We've had time to be outside. We've had time to put the sunscreen on, get out the beach, do whatever it happens to be. But with that comes a responsibility, an obligation for us to take care of our skin and to put our best face forward. You brush your teeth every day. You should be taking care of your skin every day. It should be no different than that. First impressions matter. And if you're not taking care of your skin, you will look older than you should look. And just because your master's age of racing doesn't mean you need to look like it. Caldera Lab is a, a collection of skincare products for men. It is high performance. It is what is designed to help you put your best foot forward for that day, that week, whatever it happens to be. The regimen is their product. It comes in three parts, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. That covers you from morning till night. Clean slate washes everything away. The base layer rehydrates, firms up, gives you that nice matte finish. And the good is your nighttime all functional, multifunctional, excuse me, serum that helps your skin look tighter and cleaner and younger overnight. Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare. It's made only of top tier ingredients and clinical trials have found that 94% of the men who've used it have shown overall younger looking appearance in their skin after using it for a few weeks. I've been using it for the last two months. I can tell you, I feel like it's having a good result. I feel like my skin looks better, that the crow's feet, the fine lines, the wrinkles that we're developing, they're being smoothed away. Go to calderalab.com, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION for 20% off your, your order. Again, that's calderalab.com, CRITERIUMNATION, all one word. Okay, so now here we are, Logan, great Canadian name, Okrafka, excellent guy. We're going to talk to him and we're going to talk to him right now. Uh, 
I'm Logan Okrafka. I race for UNC Lotomax Canadian team, and I'm from Cambridge, Ontario, Canada. So one thing we need to make abundantly clear right at the beginning, UNC. You said you're from Cambridge, Ontario. That is a far cry from North Carolina. You're not associated with the Tar Heels, the University of North Carolina, or anything to do with the Commonwealth or the great state of North Carolina. What does the UNC of UNC Lotto Max stand for? So UNC stands for United Nations of Cyclists. Where does that come from? Why, why is that part of your name? There's got to be a story there. Yeah, for sure. So... Um... The team started in Toronto and uh, we take pride in being from Toronto and Toronto is a very multicultural city. Um, so when the team was first started in Toronto, the goal was to um, promote diversity and inclusivity in cycling. Um, and it, the first talk started on a group ride and my friend Alessandro, he had a Italian flag on his fork of his specialized ally and him and a few uh, friends like we need to start a team to promote like diversity and inclusivity and it'd be so cool if we all get uh our nationalities flags on our forks um so that day the owner of our team now casper wong went home got the domain for unc united nations of cyclists got the website shortly after started a team in our first year kits we all had our uh nation's flags on our arm so one thing that i know by virtue of having family that live outside of Toronto in Mississauga. I, I can never pronounce it right. Mississauga? Mississauga. There, we'll go with that one. So they, they live outside of Mississauga and, you know, they are not first generation Canadians. They are immigrants. They move there. Their daughter, you know, who is related closely to my wife. She lives here in the United States. So I know by virtue of that experience that a lot of people who are Canadians did not find themselves born in Canada. How much of the the Toronto, Ontario culture is based on just this, we are diverse because that's who Canada is sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't give you like a certain percentage for sure, but I mean, Canada itself and especially Toronto is like extremely diverse. Um, you can see it just from like the stores and the different types of restaurants. That, um, it's very apparent. Um, and now even in the cycling community, you can, it's starting to get a lot more diverse, which is awesome to see. So Cambridge, Ontario, um, is nowhere close to one of my favorite shows, uh, Letter Kenny. I think a lot of Americans know about Canada through Letter Kenny. Uh, I think that's Sidbury up up north a little bit. But tell us about Cambridge. Tell us. Sorry, yeah, I think Letter Kenny's in a uh, Listwell, which is like maybe forty minutes from where I am, and it's honestly like pretty accurate representation of of the city. <laughs> so tell us about. Cambridge. Tell us about this part of Canada, because I know that's where the bulk of Canadians live is right there. So if we're going to run into Canadians, I want to be able to tell them intelligently, hey, I know something about your your town, your area. Okay. Yeah. So Cambridge, I'm about like an hour outside of Toronto. Um, so I wouldn't quite be considered the GTA, which is the greater Toronto area. But yeah, I mean, most Canada's population is in the GTA. Um, but yeah, Cambridge is a like pretty small town, like 150,000 people. Um, and it's cool. Our, our downtown core is 
pretty old and looks very European, um, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, like just like Toronto, it's very multicultural. Um, yeah, I, just a normal small town, I'd say. Not quite like Listowel, like you see in Letterkenny, but I mean, hockey is always the biggest sport and almost everyone you go to school with plays hockey. Um, and yeah, sports is very big, I think, everywhere in Canada. So everyone at school, you know, from playing sports as well. And everyone on your hockey team, you know, goes to a school near you, which is fun because then in school sports, you get to play them as well. So, yeah, I think uh, sports definitely have a big, big part of culture in Cambridge and the GTA as well. So GTA, cool. I never heard that term before. Um, I'm also picking up on the fact that the second T in Toronto is not pronounced at all. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not from Toronto, you don't say the second T. It's more Toronto. So let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, you're 20 years old and you come from Cambridge. Do you have a day job? Are you a student? What gets you through the day? Um, I've worked a bunch of jobs in the last few years just to keep cycling going, like anywhere from a shoe salesperson at an outdoor store, um, a warehouse worker at a truck warehouse, uh, a warehouse worker at a, uh, a farming warehouse, packaging like cow food and loading bulk trucks, um, working home renovations this summer with my friend who owns, owns his own home renos business. And then now I'm just starting a, a remote internship at a finance company. What, uh, what's the goal? What do you want to do with yourself when you're, when you're ultimately forced to grow up? And I'm not suggesting that you grow up anytime soon. I'm in my forties and I'm very much not grown up yet. So, you know, what do you want to do in addition to the bike racing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely important to think about because at the end of the day, I am going to have to grow up and get a real job to really support myself. Um, so I was planning on going to, um, in the trade school to become an electrician, but then I got this amazing opportunity to have an internship at the finance company. So right now my focus is just to do a good job of that internship and hopefully get hired on, uh, full time. And then hopefully turn that into a sales position, um, to get experience in sales. And then if, as well, if I'm a professional cyclist, I'd like to make some connections in the industry to hopefully work at sales in a, a company in the industry. Uh, I see. I see so many connections are starting to come together here because you are legitimately forklift certified, aren't you? I am, yes. You have a profession that would give you. So the, the joke on that is that on your Instagram account, it says forklift certified. And it's not a normal, what I would consider bio tag for a bike racer or for a lot of people. Uh, but forklift certified by working in all these warehouses makes a lot of sense. Are you Zamboni certified? No, I wish actually. That's something I might look into because that would be amazing. That would be better than forklift certified in my bio, especially as a Canadian. Yes. I, I mean, there's like, there's a whole letters Kenny skit about being you know, able to drive bony. I mean, that's like, that's the thing. You need to flood the ice every whatever period of time, get the fresh ice. Everybody can go out there. You know, it's, uh, that's, that is now the end limit of my knowledge about hockey, by the way. Huh. That's a super good idea. I'm actually going to look into that. <laughs> okay. So let's talk more about you and UNC Lotto Max. 
kind of build on what we know about you and and where we're going because the ultimate goal here is to kind of introduce you to the fans of the show and to answer the question why when I reached out to your team your team said that you were the guy to talk to so this is this is our goal this is a game we're playing today so um UNC Lotto Max how many years have you guys been around? So this is uh, our third year as a team, I believe. And then second real year as a race team. Why create something like this? You know, what is it about kind of the ethos of this team that forced you to create a new team as opposed to attaching yourself to somebody else who's around there? Yeah, I think... Especially in the Toronto cycling scene, it was very apparent that it was a white dominated sport um, and there wasn't really a safe place, safe place for everyone to go and to ride. Um, so, yeah, I think it was clear that someone needed to make a change. So Casper, the owner and Alessandro thought, why not do it themselves and make a safe space for everyone? So that's kind of how it started. And there's not many teams around us, especially like purebred race teams. So, and that was something they dreamed of at the start was making like a very high level competitive race team that's promoting diversity and inclusivity in the sport. And that was definitely missing from, I think, the sport in general and especially Ontario and Canada. You and I are looking at each other right now on this video call. Um, you're white. I'm white. You know, why are, why is it important for two white men to talk about diversity and inclusivity in Canadian cycling or in cycling in, in North America as a whole? Yeah, I mean, we've had conversations with our own members who come from like a minority background and they've even said when just rolling up to our group rides, even our team rides at the beginning, um, even though our team was still set up to promote diversity and inclusivity, that they would still get intimidated just because of how many white people that were there which is, you know, unfortunate. And we can't really do anything about that except, you know, try and get more people from minority backgrounds into the sport. I would say most of our members come from different backgrounds and aren't Caucasian, um, especially on the club side of things. So we have our project team, which is the race team that I'm a part of and that went to Intelligentsia. And then we also have like the club teams in the uh, O-Cup teams that race in Ontario. And the majority of them come from, from minority backgrounds in we have gotten some flack in the past saying like, oh, like your race team is still uh, mostly white. But the thing is, it doesn't happen overnight getting people from more diverse backgrounds into the sport. You kind of have to show that there's a safe space for them or accepting of everyone. And then people will be um, more willing to give the sport a try and get into it. So we have people from our OCAP teams, our development teams that we're working on bringing up and getting to these bigger level races. Um, which is like honestly super fun. And I, I'm really enjoying kind of coaching and um, trying to get more riders ready to race at the higher level. When you get a guy or a woman who comes up to you guys and says, hey, I want to come on your ride or I want to be a part of this organization, but I'm intimidated because I have a minority background or I'm an immigrant or there's something about me that is different from you you know, you being a, a white male athlete. Do you recognize that as you're sitting here receiving that commentary? Do you recognize the fact that it is intimidating for somebody who doesn't look like you or doesn't have your background to become involved in a sport 
or associate with you? Yeah, for sure. Like, obviously, I, I don't know exactly or even close what it feels like to be in their shoes. But I, I'm still very understanding of the fact that they could be intimidated. Um, but when that happens, we usually just try and get them out to a team ride. Um, our team is very much like a family. Like when we show up to the parking lot for a group ride, everyone's talking to everyone. No one cares who you are if you're new, if you've been on the team for years. Everyone's just there to have a good time. And the best part of our rides are honestly the talks in the parking lot. Everyone's just getting to know each other. Everyone gives each other a fist bump. And it's the most like, it just feels like a big family. So most people that are intimidated, they come ride with us, especially if they run into myself or another member that happens to be white. Um, it usually is like a little bit of a tougher sell because it's like, yeah, we're promoting diversity, but I'm not myself very diverse or come from a minority background. So usually, but once they get out to the ride, they realize how many people in this club really come from different backgrounds and cultures. And it, it makes it easier for them to um, integrate into the club. And then they realize how accepting we really are and how everyone really treats each other like family. So if this is the stated goal and, and if your mission is to get people into the sport and promote them up the sport, it begs the question, what are these team rides like? You know, how do you generate a team ride that offers a safe place for people who want to get better at the sport, but also recognize that they don't have the same cultural background or knowledge as you might. So how do you create a ride that says, hey, relax, it's all going to be okay? Yeah. So we have a few different types of rides we do as a team and as a club. Our most famous ride and really what started this team was this ride called Warden. It's really just a race pace ride on this one out and back stretch, 50K out to a lake, stop, grab a coffee, a Coke, 50K back. Um, and everyone kind of just went there to ride hard and have a good time. That's really all it was about. And now we have, uh, we call it a learner race. So the project team, which is our high level race team, uh, we go there to coach anyone who wants to come from the club. So we coach them on cornering, sprinting, lead outs, just pack skills in general. Um, and yeah, we teach people what they want to get better at. And it doesn't matter where you're from. Everyone gets the same treatment. Just as long as you have like a helmet and a bike, you're good to come out and, and learn from us. One of the things that I've been noticing lately, and lately probably means the last five or so years, is the decrease in rides that are designed to teach and pass on skills. So when I started bike racing in 2001, I started with uh, guys like Steve Tilford or Bill Stolte, Adam Mills, Jed Schneider, you know, guys who had raced in Europe, who had raced at the highest level, uh, who also had pretty solid egos already, you know, like Steve Tilford raced the world championships with Greg LeMond in the early nineties, like the guys, he was legit. And when we would go out for a ride, the purpose of the ride was never to thrash each other. It was always to go on a ride. That was it. As I've grown up and as time has progressed, I've seen the decrease in those types of rides and an increase in rides that are simply designed to shred as many people as possible. There's always a place for competitive bike riding. I know that as a fact. But do you feel that what you guys are doing with 
these broader inclusive rides is bucking the trend of what has been going on lately, which is like this, let's go out and race really hard, even though it's a Tuesday night and we've got no numbers on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like you said, I, I've kind of noticed that trend too. And I think a lot of it comes from people just getting super fit on like Zwift or RGT and then going out into the real world and racing and they don't necessarily have the best pack skills. And you've even seen it, which is like the number of crashes in local races. So our, our learner races are very easy pace ride. It's just skill-based really until near the end when everyone's like, okay, we want to sprint against you guys. Like we want to see how fast you are. Then we might do a little race. But yeah, I think learning the skills is definitely like one of the most important parts. You can definitely win bike races and beat guys that are far fitter than you if you just have a better knowledge of how to race and how to handle your bike because you can just save so much more energy that way. And it's also just important for everyone's safety, like just being able to handle your bike around other people and be comfortable taking corners around people and maybe bumping into each other because it's bound to happen in a race. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely something that uh, has lacked a bit in the past few years, but it's something we're trying to bring back and just teaching and reinforcing important skills that you need. But like I said, we also have that ride that we call Warden where it's a full-blown hammer fest to keep it competitive. Yeah, no doubt that that's the thing that everybody's interested in at some point in time. We had the, what did we call it? We called it the Vomit Comet. Every Thursday night, it was an hour long, hard ride. That's what you did. Tuesday Night Worlds is all over the place. There's the loops down in New Orleans that I got to do with a good friend of mine a few weeks ago. It's like, there is a place for these hard rides, but there's also a place for skills development. When it comes to you, how did you learn your skills? How does a 20-year-old guy from, you know, Canada get lured away from hockey, get lured away from curling and get involved in bike racing? Yeah. So, uh, I started racing mountain bikes in 2016. And so when I was little, my, my dad bought, or my family got a dog and we couldn't tire the thing out. So my dad went to the store to get a mountain bike. Uh, so he could take our dog to the local trails and ride it around. So it would tire itself out. So he eventually bought me just like a cheap mountain bike and I would go with him every once in a while. Then I, he took my dad took me to the Pan Am games in 2015. Uh, they were in Toronto. So we went to go watch the mountain bike race and I like absolutely fell in love with it. And I was like, I want to quit hockey. I want to do this. Um, cause I was very competitive and I, I was kind of getting tired of the team aspect of hockey when like people were starting to slack off. I was like, I want to do this for myself. Um, and once I started taking mountain bikes seriously, I already kind of had okay bike handling skills because as a kid, I was always just building like stupid little jumps in my front yard to hit on my cheap, like Walmart bike. Cause that's just what I enjoy doing with friends is building cheap ramps in my front yard. So I kind of already had okay bike handling skills. And then I don't know, I, I think it kind of just translated to the road. When I first started riding road, I didn't really have anyone to ride with or people teaching me anything. I kind of just learned from like watching and trial and error. Like I think even the first year I raced a road bike, I was, I, I didn't know how to corner. Like I was just doing it way wrong. And then my friend pointed something out. She was like, you're like leaning your body too much and your bike, not enough. I was like, it was just so foreign to me. Yeah. I, I, I very slowly picked up on road cycling. It honestly took me a bit, especially in corners, but I think it just comes with repetition, honestly. Like the more crits I do, the more and more comfortable I get at corners. 
how does Canadian cycling work? We've had Maggie Coles Lister on. We've had a couple other Canadians who've been a part of the show, but we've never really gotten into the nitty gritty. Like in the U.S., it's a very formalized process, especially on the road. You go from Cat 5 to Cat 4 to Cat 3 to Cat 2 to Cat 1, and then maybe, just maybe, you get signed by a pro team. Is that how it works in Canada? Yeah, I, I would say it's pretty similar. Like, there's definitely still... I think our lowest is Cat 4. I don't think we have Cat 5 here just because there's not enough riders. Um, but it's still kind of the same system where you use points to upgrade. Um, it does get a little tricky because if you come from, let's say, an elite track license or an elite mountain bike les- uh, license, you can go right into Cat 1, 2 on the road, I believe. But the numbers are definitely a lot lower here. Like for our local Ontario Cup series, we'll have like 40 riders in the Cat 1, 2 field. That's a pretty good field. I mean, as far as like elite racing is concerned here locally, getting 40 guys in a Cat 1, 2 race is is pretty good you've raced here in the United States a bit. How does the level compare, you know, between what you're doing on a daily basis in Canada versus what you would have been doing at a, in an American criterion? Uh, it definitely depends from race to race. Honestly, Ontario has a very strong group of riders, um, because you have Toronto hustle, the continental team here, um, ascent another local team that's just strong of hitters. And then our team, UNC Lotto max. And because it's such a small field, it's honestly kind of harder than I raced Tour of Murrieta earlier this year in California. It was honestly harder than that just because the field was smaller and like everyone's just so strong and there's not much room to hide. So on smaller races, I would say it's definitely pretty similar, um, but we don't have as many big races like you guys do in the States. For example, like Intelligentsia, Joe Martin, we have Tour of Bose, which is really our only UCI stage race. And I would say that's really it for big events that in Gastown. So we usually end up coming down to the States for high level events um, where the field is usually a little bit stronger because you get more American teams. And then you also get some teams from South America or Europe. So, you know, Toronto hustle, you uh, ascent, there's a, a handful of Quebec teams as well. Cause we can't forget about that entire province. Do you guys, I mean, Canada is a massive country. It's the second largest country in the entire world driving from Toronto to BC is probably not realistic, much like driving from Maine to LA is not really realistic. But then you've got the vast majority of Canada, the the Newfoundlands, the Nunavut, you know, there's nothing there. What is the cycling scene like? Is it very island-like? Like there's the Toronto, there's the Montreal, there's Calgary, you know, is that how it works? It, it is pretty divided just because how far away everything is from each other. So you kind of have the Ontario, you have the Quebec, and then you have the West, like BC and Alberta. And they don't really merge all that often. Sometimes you'll get a race in Quebec or Ontario that's like a six hour drive, which is honestly kind of short for us, where you'll kind of get both provinces going to. I'd say really the only events you get all of the Canadian cycling in one place is, is nationals and tour boats. That's where kind of all of Canada comes together to kind of see who's the best. When you come to the United States and you'll do a crit series like intelligentsia that you just did or Winston Salem, which you guys are heading to do, does it strike you as weird that you get guys coming from Los Angeles, from South Florida, 
from New England, from like all four corners of the United States to do this one race. Does that does that seem weird to you guys? Um, for intelligentsia, not really, because it's 10 days of racing. So it's I would say it's worth it to drive a pretty far distance. Like it's a six or eight hour drive for us. Um, but I would say it's worth it. Like it's honestly one of the most my favorite race on the calendar, I'd say this year. It's just so much fun. And it's worth it because you get 10 days of racing. So you can't really get that anywhere else other than maybe Dairyland. Yeah, Dairylands is 11 days until he's 10. You get Gateway coming up, which is four days of bike racing. You know, we've got a lot of these big bang for your travel buck. Because uh, you guys are driving from Toronto to Winston-Salem, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've driven them, I think, every race this year other than our nationals, which is Edmonton. We... Some guys drove out to Redlands for California this year, which was like 36 hours. Some guys flew and then we had to drive back because we needed a car and a trailer there. Drove to Turabos, which was eight hours. Drove to Joe Martin, which was 16. Intelligentsia, which was eight. And then now Winston-Salem, which is like another 10 or 12. You're well aware of the fact that Toronto has a massive airport, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the best airport. Usually bikes don't come with you when you fly somewhere, um, but it also ends up being for the most part, it ends up being cheaper driving. And we kind of need a car there as well for either like the caravan or just to get from like stage to stage at Intelligentsia, let's say. Let's talk Intelli because that's where you guys just were. That's where I got my first in-person um, introduction to to the results from your team uh, through uh, Simon Daniels, who just had a phenomenal Intelligentsia especially now that we know that we're coming off a, a team that's only a couple of years old to have somebody winning races like Intelli, you know, absolutely phenomenal. So why target this race series? Why, why this one as opposed to Toad or Tulsa or any other race? Yeah. So Intelligentsia was kind of a no brainer for us. Um, we actually met Simon Daniels there last year. And he got, I think it was fourth on GC he got. Um, so we knew he was able to do really well there. We're looking at Tulsa, but it was the same time as Tour of Bose, So we kind of decided to do the only UCI stage race in Canada. And then Tour of America's Dairyland was during our nationals. So yeah, Intelligentsia was kind of a no-brainer because he got fourth there last year and it was an empty spot in our calendar. Um, myself and the team did it the first five days last year. Um, so we kind of knew what to expect. And yeah, we were pretty confident Simon was one of the best crit racers in the world. He gets, he just gets to where he wants to be and you can't move him. So we knew we would have a good shot with him there. That's a very interesting way of putting it. He gets to the place where he needs to be and you can't move him. You know, you guys were not racing with a, a perfect lead out. You know, that's just not the way that you guys function. When you approach a race like this as an upstart, as a scrappy underdog, how are you guys approaching the concept of, of teamwork in one of these races? Yeah, so obviously it was, it was a pretty stacked field. Um, Simon is by far the strongest guy on our team, but the goal was still just to let him save as much energy as possible uh, so he can sprint it out in the end because uh, we liked his odds in a sprint. So yeah, basically the plan going into the race was get Simon to the end as, as fresh as possible. Um, so that doesn't mean necessarily we're taking it up, like taking the front with 30 minutes to go because you've got teams like Legion, Project Echelon, Miami Blazers there, uh, who are just honestly stronger than us. So really my goal, my job was to 
pull breakaways back and get Simon up to the front and maybe ride beside him, uh, sorry, beside a lead out for him, just so he doesn't have to deal with the scrum and so he can save energy in the last few laps. And most of the other guys' job were kind of just to help me get to the front and get me in position. Day one, I, I was pulling a lot of breaks back that had good representation from the bigger teams there because we were worried it would go away, but we wanted Simon to be able to sprint. So yeah, I was riding the front a lot on day one, bringing breaks back, which honestly kind of bit us in the butt a little bit maybe because Simon got third on stage one. So then for the next few stages when he was super close, uh, we were looked at a little bit to do some more work. And, you know, like I said, we honestly just aren't as strong as some of the bigger teams there. So it, it was starting to catch up to me pretty quick, but yeah, I think we managed. Okay, Joe. You definitely did because Simon ended up on the podium. Well, it depends. Do you count fourth as the podium or, or is that just the wide angle podium? Because it was three third places. He won Lake Bluff, which is the big one. And then he finishes fourth at Goose Island, which is the fun one. You know, when you're looking at going up against a team like Legion or the New Zealand Cycling Project or Project Echelon, teams that bring six plus guys to a race and know how to race as a unified front, you guys had what, like four guys at that race? Yeah, so we start we, we start with six guys. Um, one rider crashed on day two and dislocated his shoulder so he couldn't race. And then another rider uh, was having health issues, so he had to leave early as well. So we raced the last... Four days, I believe, with four guys. If if the results are to be trusted, you were the guy who was left basically to do the work so that Simon could take the glory sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, everybody else looks like they were, um, they were struggling there at the end because there's a lot of 60th and 70th places there in, in, in these results, but that's not a bad thing because you've got somebody on the podium. That's how it's actually designed. Yeah. Um, going into the race, our team's motto is one team, one goal. So really all our jobs were just to, the only result that mattered was Simon's result in the end. And we were all fully on board with that and okay with that. And we did everything we could to make sure Simon could have a good result in the end of the day. That's all that mattered to us. I want to do something fun because it's hard to do a comprehensive, like what happened on day one and keep it interesting by day 10, because they all kind of blend and bleed together. Brookfield and Northbrook are both insanely hard races because they've got greater than 90 degree corners and things like that. But, you know, by the time we would get to Goose Island, people would be like, okay, another day. Um, so I want to do like a little word association, maybe two or three words. We'll mention the race name and I want you to say, what are the first words that pop into your mind when we talk about that race? Okay. Sound good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll go, we'll go chronologically. So this is going to be a test for both of us to remember chronologically everything that happened for 10 days of bike racing. So West Dundee. Hectic and I'd say confidence inspiring. Obviously there is the leg breaker hill, which I think for most people who aren't from DuPage or Kane County, they'll be like, what a hill really that's BS, but it's a, it's a river bluff hill out of the Fox river. And it's, it's no joke. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a steep effort to get up that. And it, it was especially hard for me. There's a lot of points where I'd be riding the front to bring a break back and 
I would lead into the bottom and then there'd be counterattacks over the top of me going up the hill. And I wouldn't really have the legs to snap and respond to it. So I'd just drift back through the peloton and slowly have to work my way back out to the front again. So yeah, that one was super painful. And I don't think people realize how short the courses are, or at least how short they feel, because you get to the top of that hill at Dundee, it's five corners and you're back at the bottom. And I mean, it's just like, that's it. There's like no opportunity to rest. Yeah. Like there's almost a few courses where I'm starting to get like tunnel vision because the laps just go by so fast. It's like, you almost get like deja vu. It's pretty crazy. Okay. So day two, Lake Ellen. What do you think about that? Sketchy and wet. This year it rained. It, it, it rained in the morning last year. This year it rained at night. So the cat fives got the rain last year and, and you guys got stuck with it this year, but it's a course that there's never a straight segment for very long. And it's under a lot of trees and there is that 180 degree corner in there. Tell me how many times did you hop the Island, the traffic circle? So last year when it was dry, I found that to be faster and I tried to do it every lap. This lap or this year, I only did it once because it was absolutely boring. So the roads were soaked. So you hop over, you, if you hop over the island, there's a left-hander right after it, but you'd be cornering hard over a lot of road paint, which is like 10 times slippier in the wet. So this year I was going around the roundabout. So then I could go over the, the paint lines uh, much straighter. So I had less chance of slipping out, but there were still a few times where I was hitting some pretty big drifts over the, the paint on the road. Okay, so day three, Winfield. What are, what are the words that you associate with Winfield? That one was sketchy as well. I hate to repeat myself, but sketchy and fast. So I think that Winfield's the simplest course of all the courses, because it's only four corners. Yeah. But it's also super fast. Yeah, so the finish line is basically like a two to 3% downhill sprint finish. But because of how not techy the course is, it's honestly harder to stay at the front because um, some guys that you might not see all week because they're not as fit or as technically inclined, they could just catch a good surge and get up to the front. Um, and it's super easy to dive on corners on that course. So like there was times where you're going like probably like eight wide through corners just because there's so much room. So it, that one's pretty hard to stay at, at the front, at least for myself. And yeah, it's pretty sketchy because everyone's chopping each other through corners and it was gnarly. When you talk about Winfield, when you talk about somebody who spends, who you're not going to see in some of these more technical crits, does that, does that piss you off as much as it pisses me off where you get to the end of a race or something like that? And somebody who's just been like hiding back 30 wheels suddenly appears at the front and you're like, no, dude, this is our spot. This is our part of the race. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think like I think everyone has the right to be there. If you're in the race and you're racing and you can get to the front, you kind of have the right to be there. Usually, I wouldn't say at the end that's the case because at the end, it speed does pick up a lot. Like I think we averaged 50 kph that race. So at the end, it was still pretty hard to get to the front, stay at the front. Uh, but it's more just like mid-race. It's like, ooh, this guy's, I hate to stereotype, this guy's racing it without socks on. It's like, you might want to watch out for this guy mid-corner. So... Yeah, I'd say, honestly, when it's easier is when it's scarier because you see a lot more guys that you don't see all week and it's like you don't really know their riding style and you can tell they might not be as good technically. So, yeah. All right. So we're on Monday now. Monday is Mundelein. Fun. And 
F1 on bike. Oh, wow. That one, that circle that you have to go around, you, if you're on the edge, it's just like, it's just such a perfect experience to like float around that circle at 35 or 45 miles an hour. Uh, uh, what's the units in Canada? Cause we only use freedom units here. <laughs> yeah. We use kilometers an hour. There you go. So at 40 or 50 kilometers an hour, you know, how much fun is it to go around that long stretch of the circle? Oh, it's so good. Like it feels like MotoGP. Like it feels like you're like so low to the ground and you can just look so far around the corner and then all the corners on that course are fun and super fast. Like corner one, super fast left-hander that you can hit like full speed. Um, you come like up over the little riser and then you can take like a full inside right-hander like over like a sidewalk. Then you go into the roundabout, super long left-hander. Then out of it's kind of like a little chicane. And then the last corner is like a kind of double left-hander that you like double apex. And oh, it's just like one of the most fun courses you'll ride. Tuesday is Lombard. So give us three words for Lombard. Tight and bad roads. I double flatted at Lombard. Yeah, I cracked my rear wheel going up the driveway. You okay? So I got a flat right there too, with two laps to go, going up the the chicane. I hit something at the very bottom of that curb or corner that just went thud thud, and then I just felt all of the sealant spraying me in the back of the leg. Is that where you got? Is that what happened to you, or what? Yeah, exactly the same spot. There's like a little like hole right at the bottom of it, like right in the big compression. And like, I saw a few people flat there as well. And then I hit it super hard pretty early in the race. And after the race, I realized my rear wheel was cracked. Oof. And I, the fun thing, uh, funny thing I think about that course is the third corner. That's the corner that people seem to like to crash in. And I don't, I don't understand why. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a few crashes this year for sure. It gets super aggressive going into that corner too, because the curbs kind of jet in. So it narrows like last second, which I think could be why. And people don't want to give up wheels. So sometimes people just force someone to ride into that curb, which will cause a crash. Um, and then also I, it kind of is a hard one at time and find like the right apex through it. But yeah, I mean, it's not too difficult of a corner, but when you're coming in five wide, when you should really be going maybe two, it, it gets a little dicey. All right. So this year was new on Wednesday was uh, Brookfield the home of the Brookfield Zoo in Chicago. Uh, what were your couple word thoughts there? That one was a bad day for myself, so not fun. What happened? A mixture of bad legs and just poor tactics on my part. So this was the course that featured a very long straightaway start finish line with two greater than 90 degree corners at each end. And then, you know, kind of, sawtoothed in and out setting you back up for that final corner. I thought that that first corner was exceptionally challenging for me. After my race was done, I watched the women in, in the one, two field race it, and they were hitting that line so much better than I could have ever dreamed of. And I got mad at myself for not having watched better, faster riders do it. But, how physically demanding did you feel that course to be? I think it honestly was kind of one of the harder courses this year, especially on the, the last corner. 
I feel like, well, honestly, most corners, there was like two or three sewer grates right in the apex, right where you wanted to go. Um, and the last corner felt a lot like cyclocross, like you swing out into some parking spaces to open up the corner a bit. And then it just seemed to be like single file, full sprint out of that corner every lap. And then, like you said, the first corner, I personally really liked that corner. It could save a lot of energy, but like the fastest line was almost taking a super late apex, which if you do that, you'll get like two or three guys diving down the inside. So then you have to check up a bit, which kind of like ruins it. So it was, it was a super hard course. Especially once the lead out started near the end, it was super fast. It was super hard to move up. You and I, if we put the two of us together, I think we would have had a perfect mesh because I was killing that last corner. You know, I had I had dialed it in to the point where right where that sewer cover was or grading was, if you start right there coming over at the speeds that we were going at in the master's race, that would put you clearing in getting straight set up for the start finish line by the point in time that the, the curb cut out on the far side of it. So it was just like perfect. You just, you just didn't need the guy in front of you to wash out or to skip his wheel at all. Like happened on the first lap in my race and suddenly causes your heart to go like straight through your, you know, throat. So, um, we are moving on now. We're past the halfway point of the week to to Northbrook. Second year that this race happened in Northbrook. You crossed the Chicago River twice in that race. I didn't know if you knew that that little stream was actually the Chicago River. I didn't. That's pretty cool. Give us three words for this. Fast, on the edge. I, I know that's more than three words there, but and heartbreaking. I think on the edge, we can put hyphens between that. So it's just like really one big word. So I think that totally matches. Why did you feel on the edge there? Both physically from like a fitness standpoint and a cornering standpoint. Um, I sent some pretty late dive bombs in the corner of three because a lot of time the inside was just left open and I had to move my sprinter up, Simon. And then I had to go pretty deep a couple of times to chase down some guys that were close in GC and close down some breakaways. Corner three, for those who weren't there, that was the more than 90 degree corner. So, and it also was a kind of like a two and a half to three lane road into a narrow two lane road. So you you get that freak out factor of, of you suddenly lost the space and there were some pretty tall curbs on that exit too. So that kind of made it feel like you were in a canyon. Did you find yourself having any problems with the corner after that, coming back on to the main street? Uh, not myself personally. I, I felt pretty comfortable on that course and got my lines dialed in pretty quick. Um, but I was there was definitely some gaps opening up through corner four, which was honestly a little strange because it's such a wide exit and you can like almost pedal through it depending on what speeds you're going at. So it was kind of strange to see how many gaps are really forming out of that corner. I think it was just from people who were maybe running shorter cranks or just risking to get on the power earlier versus people who maybe had longer cranks or weren't risking to strike a pedal. I think that's where kind of the gaps were opening up. You know, it, it was super hot for those couple of days. Was that something that was causing you any problems? I mean, it, it was hot enough for us pouring carb mix on myself, but I, I wouldn't say it was, uh, it wasn't affecting me too much. Uh, we had ice socks going down the back of our jerseys. So it helped keep us cool. So I wouldn't say it was affecting me too much, no. Did you call it what car mix? 
like high carb mix, like carbohydrate drink mix. High. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I gotcha. So the nutrition was critical. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, you guys did not race on Friday because of threatened severe weather, um, that did hit later that night, but not for your race. It was initially, uh, the model showed it hitting right about the last couple of laps of the women's race, but they made the decision to cancel you guys, both the men's and the women's and just live to fight again another day. Totally the right call. I absolutely 100% agree with them in that decision because it was just a giant red blob moving across the state of Illinois on a radar. So that brings us to Lake Bluff, which is the big one for purposes of Intelligentsia Cup, you know, because it's the ACC race, the American Criterium Cup race, and also probably one of the most demanding races of the entire series. What did you... what? Give us your three words for that or a couple words for that. It was brutally hard. Like it, it was super demanding. But this one also comes with it. The sweet, sweet, sweet taste of victory for you guys. Cause that's the day that Simon ends up getting from third to first and winning the whole race. Walk us through how that happened. I mean, honestly, Simon made it about as easy as he could on all of us because he went in the breakaway from lap one. So really our job after that was, I was pretty far back in staging. So by the time I got to the front, I couldn't see Simon. So I assumed he was off the front because he would never really be behind me in a race unless he's on my wheel. So I just assumed he's on the front. So I asked on the radio, it turns out he's in the breakaway. So he made my job super easy. So basically me and my teammates kind of just try to stay at the front and follow anything important that goes off because um, at the time, Ben Oliver, the GC leader from Middle Q and Robin Carpenter, who was, I think, two points behind at the time. They were still in the Pelotons. We're like, this is a perfect situation. And I mean, we were so confident in Simon up the road. Like he's just so unbelievably strong. And he's such a smart bike racer that we were very confident in him, which is crazy, especially when the breakaway went from lap one. But there wasn't any massive chase from the Peloton initially, other than maybe Middle Q, but you could tell that they were dying. So yeah, we were pretty stoked to see, see him go from lap one. After the race was over, what was the celebration like? Oh, I mean, like I, I still am buzzing from that. Like that might've been one of the greatest days of my life. Um, I, we had team radios and um, one of the guys that didn't fi finish, he was standing on the side of the road watching the finish and he just started screaming in the radio and we still had like half lap to go. And I just pulled down of the, of like the lead outs, like the single file stretched out, shoulder check, make sure no one's beside me. And I pulled out because I was just like, I don't even care to sprint for myself anymore. And I started yelling back in the radio because I knew he had done it. And then, yeah, I got to the finish line and was just waiting for Simon to come back around from his uh, cool down lap so I can give him a hug. There you go. That's awesome teamwork right there. You, you have to be, if you don't, if you're not prepared to handle the victory celebration, you shouldn't win the race. Do you think Simon was prepared to handle the victory celebration? Yeah, it was uh, It was a long time coming and no one deserves it more than that guy. He worked so hard and he took such massive sacrifices to move here for the year to race for just a random Canadian squad and, you know, leave his family and friends in Belgium. So we were all just so happy for him and like, uh, it, it was it was amazing. What does it mean for a team like you, you know, you're new, you're young, you're, you're trying to get your chops. You're trying to get 
cred in the field to have a victory like that. What does it mean for you guys? Yeah, like it, it's massive. I think we've shown that we can be competitive at this level in a few races. Like Simon is also third of the crit and Joe Martin. He was up at the front the whole race at Redlands crit until he got taken out. We got some pretty decent results at Tour of Bose. So we were kind of just missing that one big win. Um, so it was, it was almost kind of a bit of a relief too. Because um, slowly throughout the week, we're start, we were starting to get more recognition from Simon getting good results in our team helping him out at the front. But after, after he won that, it was like a mass relief. And, you know, there's a bunch of people posting about it on social media and we felt like we were kind of finally getting the recognition that, you know, we, we, we deserve. So one, one last day of Intelligentsia, the, the famous Goose Island brewery race down on Fulton street, uh, in the West side of Chicago, give us a describer of that. A uh, big party. You guys ended up finishing fourth overall that day with Simon again. And it's a freshly paved version of the Goose Island race. Uh, I don't know if you had raced there last year or had ever raced there before, but it, you know, that chicane part of it, the last time that I raced it was basically like the dark side of the moon, sort of like pavement. It was awful. And now it was just like smooth and the corners comparatively you know, to the days before were so wide open. Did you like have to check yourself and be like, holy cow, wait a second, what's going on here? This is, this is like Los Angeles, Southern California style of racing, not like Midwest. Yeah. So I, I've never done that one before, but I was told that it was repaved and it was much nicer than in past years. But yeah, it was a little bit like, we were a little worried. We're like, oh, this plays like right in the Legion's hands and the big lead on team's hands. Um, but it was fun to experience that type of racing. Like I've always wanted to do the crit in Boise and I kind of felt like it was a little similar. I know it doesn't have a chicane and it's probably still even a little wider, but it was honestly a blast to race on a course like that. That was like a little less tactical and just like more flat out racing. Do you think that that kind of suits your style personally of racing is, is just not so much how good you can corner and how good you can turn and, but more about like, how much can you throw down? I would say a bit of both. I, I think I do better at courses where it's a little more technical and you have to be a bit better of a bike handler to stay at the front rather than just pure power. Like by no means am I the strongest or most powerful guy out there, but I am also, I like to think I'm an aggressive racer, but not in like a dangerous way, but I'm just a very competitive person and can handle, you know, being pushed around a little bit. So I did enjoy like the aggressiveness of having to fight to stay at the front and, you know, get your bars in front of someone and really fight going into the corners. So yeah, I'd say a bit of both, but I definitely do prefer a more technical course, but it was fun to race a course like that against the big trains that were there and see what it's really like. You know, walking away from this experience, you know, this is your second time at Intelligentsia. Now you guys have a teammate who can legit compete at the front. What are your feelings about the success of the team? Uh, I'm super, super stoked. Like this year has gone, the first half was honestly a little rough and we were expecting to have a lot more, but after Intelligentsia, the whole team is just super stoked and we're all still buzzing from the past 10 days. Um, and it's not stopping yet. We got Winston-Salem coming up this weekend. And then 
we're looking to have a big year next year as well. So just keep the team growing, keep bringing in more results and yeah, bring this team to the moon. What is something that you learned as a team coming out of Intelligentsia, out of this block of racing in the United States that is going to help you guys improve and get better? Like what's a weakness that you need to build upon? I mean, I, I think it's clear a lot of us just have fitness gains to make to be more consistent up at the front. I, I would honestly say that's the biggest thing. A lot of our guys are, you know, working full-time jobs and in, in school, so they don't have as much time to train, but we're like great racers as juniors. So we know they have the bike handling skills and know they know how to race a bike and have the the race tactics. Uh, we just need to make a little bit more fitness gains. Um, and then what me and Sound realized was we lacked a little bit of like repetition. So we don't have as many race days up here as you guys do in the States, especially for like the SoCal teams that have, you know, big crits pretty often. So we found it a little bit difficult to stay with each other in, in, in the pack, especially in the end when there's teams riding a lead ounce and it's kind of a, a fight for the lead out. So initially the plan was to try and give me to give Simon a lead out at the end and sprint in front of him where we changed our plan to me just riding beside the lead outs and keeping him up there. And so he can save energy as long as he can, and then he'll surf to the line. So I think just a few more uh, race days as the team as a whole and like some lead out practice and yeah, we'll be good to go. So Winston-Salem's on the calendar still. What about anything after that? So we're doing Winston-Salem and then we, the next weekend we have uh, my favorite race in Canada. It's called Via Italia. It's a crit in downtown Windsor and it's like really our only big crit right in, you know, downtown, lots of fans come out. And there's some hitters showing up this year, so it's going to be a good battle. Well, Logan, thank you so much for talking to us about Canadian cycling and helping us go back through and re- remember and relive all of Intelligentsia. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I was happy to share. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with special thanks to Logan Okrafka and all of the guys at UNC Lotto Max. We'll be back in two weeks for more stories from our Criterium Nation.